2: The race for 2020 has barely begun, but America's Democrats are searching for the recipe that could win back the White House. A new and potentially powerful rallying issue for the Democratic Party is tax, and specifically how much to tax the rich. With a billionaire for president and massive discontent with elites across the parties, the tone was set by new congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, or AOC, who's proposed a 70% tax on incomes above $10 million. So do we want these kind of, you know, folks with helipads in the same city and the same society as people who are working 80-hour weeks and can't feed their kids? Presidential hopefuls responded in kind. Senator Elizabeth Warren wants a 2% annual levy on wealth above $50 million and 3% over a billion. Today in America, the top one-tenth of 1% has amassed about as much wealth as 90% of America. And Bernie Sanders pitched in last week with his own plan to bolster inheritance tax up to 77% for billionaires. So this week we're asking how and how much to tax those high net worths. I'm joined on the line by Rutger Bregman, historian and author of Utopia for Realists. His panel appearance at the World Economic Forum in Davos two weeks ago has gone properly viral.
1: I mean, we can talk for a very long time about all these stupid philanthropy schemes. We can invite Bono once more, but come on, it's we got to be talking about taxes. Yeah, that's, that's it, taxes, taxes, taxes. All the rest is bullshit, in in my opinion.
2: He's here to explain why. Welcome, Rutger, and we'll get to that in just a second. How are you?
1: <laughs> well, I can actually use the word bullshit on Economist Radio. <laughs> I've been bleached so many times this week, sparingly
2: <laughs> and in context. You can okay, say what okay, you want. okay. That's good to know. (laughs) And opposite me in the studio is Henry Kerr, our economics editor, whose leader in this week's issue of The Economist proposed a way through the warren, how to tax the rich and limit the economic damage. Brave claim. Welcome, Henry.
0: Good to be with you, Anne.
2: We've also had a good few questions come in from our listeners via Twitter, so I'm going to include some of those. So, Rutker, starting with you, it was your first time at Davos, and I think it was also Henry's. How did you find this meeting of the elites in the Alps?
1: Oh, I thought it was a bizarre experience. So um, my first impression was that I had walked into some kind of social democratic party conference, a meeting of leftists from around the globe. If you looked at the subjects, it was about, you know, climate change, about participation, about feminism and all these kind of, you know, lovely things. But it was only after a couple of days that I started to realize that, Certain subjects are not being discussed, and you're not even like really allowed to even discuss them. So uh, on Tuesday of the conference, I was at a private panel that was not accessible to journalists, and I used the T word, you know, taxes, and the uh, the response from the room was quite aggressive. So uh, that that was that was interesting.
2: Uh, Henry, did you share that feeling that some things are not on an agenda? This gathering of the the great, if not always good, but certainly sort of tries to foreground improving the state of the world is the great claim of the World Economic Forum.
0: Well, I think uh, Rutger's put his finger on something because it is true that in some senses, what you hear discussed at Davos can seem a bit lefty or at least culturally left-wing and that that's part of the sense that right-wing populists have. I think that elites are detached from them but at the same time there is very much a consensus among the type of people you find there that low taxes and and low regulation are good and I think certainly if you asked them what they thought about uh, the Trump economic agenda excluding trade, you would get some quite favourable responses. So I think that is the overlap of views that you find there.
2: Well, let's get to it on tax, which was the casus belli that Rutger kind of threw into the hmm. Davos gathering. It's lurked in the political debate, uh, particularly it tends to come up at election times when parties make pledges about what they will and won't tax and how highly or not. But it does feel like it's reached a sort of escape velocity now. Rutger, why do you think that tax is now at the centre of conversations when it was perhaps at the margins or just came around with the electoral cycle?
1: It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think just 10 years ago, it would have been unimaginable for a historian to go viral with a speech about taxes, 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 right? It doesn't sound like much of a one-liner, but but here we are. So I guess what's been happening is that there have been people on the fringes developing these ideas for the past couple of years, and it only recently entered into the mainstream. So uh, if you look, for example, at AOC's, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez proposal for a 70% top marginal tax rate, you know, that idea doesn't come out of nowhere it has been proposed by, you know, top economists, like um, Emmanuel says and Gabriel Zucman, who all worked together with Thomas Piketty, you know, the French economist that made such a splash a couple of years ago. So um, I think these ideas have been in the air for quite some time, but only now they're really entering the mainstream.
2: Henry, is that right, that these are ideas that have been around, but for various reasons we may unpack in a moment, have come into the centre of the debate? Or oh, have they always been slightly outlying ideas among economists. You can always find an an economist to to make an idea sound reputable. Isn't that true, our economics editor?
0: Well, I'd say two things to that. First, I'm not entirely convinced it's right to say these ideas are within the mainstream. Certainly if you look at Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, she is widely acknowledged to be on the, the hard left of the Democratic Party and does not really represent the more centrist tendencies of the rest of the new Congress uh, men and Congresswomen who were elected in the midterm elections. Elizabeth Warren, you could make a, a, a greater case, but she's still seen as a left-wing senator. It's true that you had a whole, a whole lot of work on taxes in recent years and on inequality. Nonetheless, what was striking about the work on which the 70% top tax rate is based is that it was something of an outlier. The debate over what the right top rate of tax should be is an ongoing one and quite a heated one and the estimates vary widely. So while I wouldn't agree with you that it's always true that you can find an economist to agree with you, for the top rate of tax it sort of is uh, because it's far from the case that there's a consensus about
2: that. Let's talk about the link of that to inequality because it does seem that taxes and inequality are more linked perhaps at least in the public debate than they have been for many years. I'm going to ask Henry who's written about this in the, the context of uh, taxation and broader economic policy we hear a lot about rising inequality but can you just quickly unpack for us which inequalities are rising and what are our comparators here?
0: Sure. So it's certainly true that inequality of income and wealth has risen quite a lot over a period of decades. I think the interesting thing, and again, it comes back to uh, why is this conversation happening now, is the time period we're talking about. Because if you look right now in America, especially, there's a booming jobs market and uh, the wage growth you're seeing is strongest at the bottom of the economic spectrum. So although we don't have very good up-to-date data on inequality, I imagine you would see some fall in inequality in the last few years it's also the case that inequality isn't really once you take into account tax and transfers higher than it was on the eve of the financial crisis so I think the financial crisis led to a sort of delayed response uh, and it took a while for academics to think about it and now you know, it's, it's a hot political issue certainly on the left but one of the curious things here of course is that President Trump was elected explicitly promising lower taxes on the rich and so it's not very cleanly tied to the rise of populism and I think you've got to bear that in mind too
2: isn't that a, f- a fair point? This claim that inequality is rising, which is often put out there in a sort of banner waving way, is a bit subject to other factors, as Henry's just laid out.
1: Well, I- I'm to be honest, I'm not really interested in like the changes in the in, in just a, a couple of years, right? You really have to zoom out and look at what's been happening around the globe since the 1980s, and then the trend is, I think quite clear that almost all of the growth or the benefits of growth have have gone to you know the top one percent so maybe inequality falls a bit now in two years but i think still the trend is quite clear and uh, now we've got hundreds of billions of dollars of new tax cuts from trump's administration so far there's no reason to be very optimistic about the near future
0: the tax cuts would, of course, be the, uh, the counterpoint to what I said about the last few years. It's right that while the labour market may have been pushing down on inequality, you have had these tax cuts, uh, which will push the other way.
2: Well, let's come back to that then. So what would happen in practice if this sort of continued to be at the forefront of the, the debate? Why is now the moment to tax the rich? And what would you want to achieve by doing it? Rutger?
1: Well, I think this is really about protecting our democracies. It seems to me very ironic that many of these proposals, like a proper inheritance tax or a higher top marginal tax rate, are branded as leftist ideas. I mean... During the golden age of capitalism in the 50s and the 60s, when we had really high rates of growth and, and extraordinary technological uh, innovation, um, we had tax rates over 90% uh, for the for the very rich. We had still proper inheritance taxes. In some countries, we had a wealth tax. And as I said, this was the golden age of capitalism. So I think that if you're if you really believe in capitalism, then you also believe that we need to tame the beast, right? We we need to come up with these. institutions. institutions. Institutions and policies that make sure that things don't get out of hand Um, That doesn't seem leftist to me. It seems like very democratic and If you're a true believer in in capitalism, I think you should also be in favor of these kind of policies.
0: But Rutger, what is the the end goal that you are trying to achieve with higher taxes? Because when top marginal tax rates came down during the 20th century, they were responding to an economic malaise at the end of the the period of post-war growth that you referred to. There was a view that you needed to encourage innovation. There was a view that you needed more productivity growth, more entrepreneurship. And that's the thing that economists who disagree with the sort of proposals that are coming out would emphasize
1: when they're looking at the top marginal tax rate. So how do you think about how far you should go? Well, I would say that the empirical evidence uh, that tax cuts leads to more innovation is very weak, actually. Government is the great innovator throughout history. You know, there are many examples. Uh, I, I always love the work from of uh, Mariana Mazzucato, the uh, Italian economist who points out quite brilliantly that Every fundamental technology in the iPhone was developed by research on the government's payroll, you know, whether you talk about the touchscreen or whether you talk about the battery or mobile technology, the Internet. It's
2: different from actually making a big company work, though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, private and public sector always need to work together. But you've got to recognise that these big innovations were, you know, funded by the government. And then we have these companies like Apple, like Google, who use those technologies, make a big profit and don't pay their taxes. Right. So I would argue for a model where they, where they actually do pay their taxes and we can use that money to fund the next wave of innovation, like a green revolution, for example.
2: Maybe we should dive into what sort of tax rises uh, would work most beneficially if indeed they did, because there's quite a lot of disagreement about that, even with those who are are making this a, the core of their argument. So if we looked at, for instance, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, they have a very distinctive approach. Henry, your magic mixture?
0: Well, I think inheritance tax could certainly be higher. I think that uh, the sort of wealth tax you want to have would be one that concentrates on where the rents are in the returns from capital. So that means a land value tax to try and get at uh, those uh, huge returns in big cities. And it, and it also means structuring a corporation tax properly so that it's harder to evade, but at the same time encourages investment. Generally, though, I'm not in favor of pushing taxes as high as you can go. I mean, I think, uh, I think you need to look at the budgetary challenges you have. And you have to have a fair amount of skepticism about the idea that the goal of the tax system is just to maximize the amount of money you can raise.
2: Uh, Rutger uh, AOC, Alexandria Mm -hmm. Ocasio-Cortez, she wants 70% tax on incomes over $10 million. Is that your favoured model? If so, why?
1: I think we need all of these things. I think we need inherent in taxes, wealth taxes, higher top marginal taxes. For, Gosh, on you income. haven't met a tax you don't uh, like, have
2: you? Yeah,
1: yeah. We, we need them all. I love them all. <laughs> They're all very dear to me. Now, um, when you talk about a top marginal tax rate, you got to remember that actually the it works as a sort of a maximum salary. So if you have a top marginal tax rate of 91% uh, employers will simply stop giving those salaries to their employees and spread their wealth around more equally this is this is what the the effect in the 50s and the 60s was and that's also why tax rates do not only have an effect on inequality after redistribution but also before it now when it comes to wealth taxes i'm a classic liberal you know not in the american sense of the word but uh, like in the the 19th century european sense of the word i don't like laziness i want people to work for their money you got to be productive you got to contribute something to the common good if we have moved towards a society where more and more people are actually you know, getting these huge inheritances or um, rent-seeking or where they have these business model uh, models such as in the financial sector where they come up with destructive financial products that, that don't really add anything of wealth but that do earn them a lot of money. You know, that doesn't sit well with my worldview. I think people need to work for their money.
0: I, mean, I think we can all agree that uh, that rent-seeking is bad. But fundamentally, when you look at taxes on capital, uh, capital is built up by deferring consumption. It's built up by, by choices to save. And that's why economists are concerned that when you introduce wealth taxes, or when you have even inheritance taxes that are too high, that then you're distorting those investment and saving decisions. And I think the criticism of the wealth tax, which is pretty appealing, is that it's indiscriminate. So it it taxes all kinds of wealth equally, whether or not that's investment in a productive factory that benefits society and benefits the workers that work in it, Mm -hmm. or whether it is some piece of capital like a piece of land near a very valuable city like San Francisco or London, which is appreciated massively in value and is accruing massive rents because those cities have done so well. Whereas, if you look at a wealth tax that's just across the board, it sort of hits all of that indiscriminately. And I think that's uh, so. That doesn't sound like it's your model.
2: your favoured way of doing these things, Henry.
0: No, no, I, I wouldn't say so. And I think you've got to be mindful of the effects on incentives to invest. But I think you've also got to be mindful of the fact that if you tax wealth rather than the income from that wealth, you end up with tax rates on investment that are pretty high. So let's take 2 or 3%, uh, as has been proposed by Elizabeth Warren. If your return on capital is 5 or 6%, that's a big chunk, even though it sounds like quite a a small amount. So if you are worried about distorting those investment incentives, then you're implementing a tax rate that can
1: definitely do it, it, even though it sounds small. Rudger. Well, I just wonder how you would design your way around this. Because You you know, you can easily throw around the word investment, but then my question is like investment in what, right? So what we have seen since the 1980s is that we've invested a lot more in, say, the financial sector or a lot of money has moved into Silicon Valley uh, and, and a lot more talent has moved there as well. But are these people actually being productive? That's the real debate we should be having. You know who are the real wealth creators? Where does prosperity actually come from? Personally, as as uh, <laughs> you were mentioning, sort of classical liberalism a, a moment
0: ago. I don't think the idea of a market economy is that people, any individual, any authority, is the best judge of the value that they're adding to society. The whole whole point of the of the market is that the market system is is supposed to aggregate the wisdom of everybody into prices. So I don't think oh, you'd expect I would people very to know much. that. And if we would if we talked about uh, specifically about billionaires then uh, certainly I think Europe, looking across at America and all the innovation that happens there, is unhappy that it doesn't have a Facebook, an Amazon or a tech titan of its own. And I think if the price of that is that you get a billionaire, uh, the founder of that company, they'd probably be willing to pay it because they do see that they have less innovation on their side of the Atlantic where taxes are higher.
2: So, Henry, are there any countries where the system of relatively high taxation, and I think how they get to it, we probably get it leave on one side, but how well it works? We often have Scandinavian economies cited as relatively high tax, bigger public sectors and successful. Indeed, Davos, where Rutger was busy having fun winding everyone up about taxes, tends to like that kind of model. What's the evidence?
0: Sure. Well, it is true that uh, that Scandinavia pairs high levels of productivity uh, with high levels of redistribution and also a less. Uh, unequal market system. I mean, I'm not sure, given their res- resistance, as Rutger points out, to, to high tax rates that the Davos crowd is really all that keen on, on on that model. I think there's a question of the extent to which innovation in America, where tax rates are lower, spills over into other countries and allows them to operate more redistributed models. It's certainly what America would claim when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry, that they do all the innovation, they pay the high prices and everyone else gets it on the cheap. And that's what let- lets Britain to have the NHS. So that's why I think the argument is
2: i just throw another economist into the mix. Uh, you wrote and that's Ken Rogoff I was talking to about this recently. He used the example of Denmark and he said, look, the state is small, it's efficient and the impact of tax paid on public services is very present in people's lives. He also said they were relatively interconnected people. They're often quite homogeneous societies. That's different to America, both in size, in, in scale and the role of the state. And I think his suggestion was it might be culturally harder for you to achieve these benefits from simply taking more tax and pushing it into a more efficient state than you've acknowledged?
1: Well, I think you should always always be wary when economists start talking about culture, because often then a lot of things go wrong. Uh, and, and the other thing is that, I mean, you can travel to different countries to look for different models, but you can also just travel in history. I mean, the United States was culturally diverse in the 50s and the 60s. And had much higher tax rates, and this was a great period. As I said, it was the golden age of capitalism. Uh, they put a man on the moon uh, with a marginal tax rate that was higher than 80, 90 percent. So, I, I, I don't know. I think that history has many, many examples that, that this. So, could so in fact, work. you want us
2: to go forwards by going backwards, and that often seems to be a bit of a progressive dilemma assuming I, oh, yes. that, that the economies now would still function in the same ways.
1: Make America great again, that's the idea. No, <laughs> I, mean, should, I think if, say, if I, I could, just, if could just come in on
0: the, on the high post-war tax rates, I think there are a couple of things to say about them. Firstly is that they didn't apply to very many people at all. I think the estimates are that the top rates of 90% that you referred to applied to about 10,000 households. But that was the point. Now, now of course it is true, it is, it, it is true that economists will say the marginal rate is what matters. When you're talking about innovation, you should look at margin. But nonetheless, in the post-war era, the United States uh, was coming out of a period where it had a militarized economy and there was a a lot of adjustments to happen. There was a lot of catch-up growth to be had. And it is true that total factor productivity growth was declining through the end of that period and then started to pick up when tax reforms happened. So I don't think it's quite as clear-cut as just saying that there's a correlation between high tax rates and high growth in that period. Therefore, everything's dandy. I think that's a correlation that needs to be examined a bit more.
1: Okay. I I would agree with you. I would be a bit more agnostic, but at least there's no clear evidence that high tax rates destroy innovation or anything. At least it's. I think it's very clear that if we, if it's true that we're living in a period where inequality is really spiraling out of control, we got to be talking about taxes. <laughs>
0: yeah, right? I, I, I suppose I'm not. I'm not so convinced on the inequality spiraling out of control point. I mean, you can make the the long run case, but it's not true over the last decade.
2: Right. You agree to, to differ, but let's. let's we should uh, perhaps put the pressure point the other way around. Let's assume that there is an acceptance of. Rutger's ideas and that we move one way or the other through somebody's model to much higher taxation for the very wealthy. Let's just explore a bit about what might happen then. I mean Henry are there enough rich people to go round? So here we are we've got our high tax utopia for realists as Rutger would call it. What would we get in?
0: Sure so I think the estimates from the AAC idea of the 70% top tax rate put its take at about $12 billion or something like that. That's about 0.3% of the income tax taken in America. I don't think the purpose of that tax, the idea is to raise a lot of money. Uh, It's to sort of deal with these inequality issues that Rooker refers to. But that means that you can't then turn around and say it's going to pay for the Green New Deal or it's going to fund a basic income. I think for those ideas, you would require higher rates. Warren's idea is much more interventionist and would raise uh, a lot more, according to economists. The questions are, how much is it going to cost you in the long run in terms of incentives to invest and innovate? And secondly, how much avoidance are you going to have? Because it, wealth is very difficult to value. If you're thinking about a closely held private uh, company in the US that's not floated on the stock exchange, you can't just say, what's the share price? That's going to require a bit of accounting. And whenever taxes are complicated, they become easier to avoid.
2: But what is the purpose of this really about getting a certain amount of revenue and then deciding how to spend it? Oh, you were a bit sceptical when I, I cited the word culture earlier on. But is this actually really more about a change in the culture of capitalism? Because I'm not sure that you are really arguing that you just think this is going to make loads of money and that can be just ploughed into things uh, which would immediately have noticeably benign outcomes. Or perhaps I'm wrong about that. Well,
1: it depends on which kind of tax we are talking about. I mean, uh, Henry is right that a top marginal tax rate for, for, you know, really high incomes, it wouldn't bring in much money it's really about protecting our democracies i think to make sure that certain groups of people do not have extraordinary power you know to basically lobby and buy off politicians that they uh, want to do certain things and when it comes to tax avoidance i fully agree i mean that is that is a subject we should be talking about a a lot more Uh, but i'm quite optimistic actually if you look at uh, europe the european commission has been doing a lot of good work the oecd you know the think tank for rich countries has been doing a lot of good work and um, if the the, like the more powerful countries such as the us and uh, france and germany and the uk would actually come together and say to these you know, tax paradises like uh, the Netherlands, you know, where I'm from, which is a major tax paradise, and would simply say, well, stop doing that. It will be over quite quickly, I think.
2: Is it a good goodbye to the tax paradises, Henry, over time?
0: So I think it's true that you could do more to stop ind- individuals from evading tax, certainly, and you could go after tax havens. But I'm I'm not sure that uh, if you look at the corporate side, certainly, that the international efforts to come to a conclusion on how properly to tax tech giants and so on are actually going that well. uh, Progress has been pretty slow and, you know, there's disagreements about how you resolve that and you've got countries uh, such as France taking action by themselves. So to the extent that the problems about corporations and business taxes, I'm not sure how solvable it is. Individuals, I think you probably could crack down on tax avoidance more than happens now.
2: And if I asked you both in 10 years' time what changes you expect to have seen on this issue... So with you, Henry, do you think that we will be living overall in a higher tax environment in the Western democracy? Maybe start with America.
0: Almost certainly, yes. And if you're not, it's because politics isn't doing its job just because uh, America faces such demographic challenges paying for pensions and health care for the elderly that ultimately is going to have to raise more revenue. And I think it's right. that the most politically appealing way of doing that is going to raise taxes on the rich. I would expect some kind of movement uh, in that direction. I don't think that AOC is about to sweep to power uh, with a flagship policy of a 70 percent top federal income
1: tax rate, though.
2: What about you, Rutger? 70% top tax rate in uh, in our lifetimes or our near lifetimes?
1: Maybe. I mean, I have a strong feeling that the zeitgeist is shifting. Um, As I said, 10 years ago, you wouldn't go viral with a speech about taxes. And now it's happening. There's a new generation, I believe, that is not traumatized by the Cold War, that you know is not impressed when you say oh you're a commie or that sounds like venezuela to me we're like yeah whatever uh, higher tax lit rate rates are extraordinarily popular if you look at the polls you know around the globe people are in favor of soaking the rich the question is when uh, politicians uh, will finally respond
2: Well, Rutger Bregman and Henry Kerr, thank you both very much for our tax tussle today.
1: Goodbye. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Anne.
2: And we'd love to hear what you think. How much should the rich give to the poor and how much to the state? Write to us, radio at economist.com or tweet us at Economist Radio. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't already subscribed, the first six issues are just six dollars or six pounds. If you go to economist.com slash radio offer. I'm Anne McElvoy and in London,